welcome back to another episode of the Art versus Commerce podcast. This week, cinematographer Timur Sivan. I've known Timur for years now, and ha- it's been a lot of fun watching um, him grow and watching his projects grow and um, seeing how he's kind of gotten to uh, the point that he's at now, which I'm very, it's, it's um, pretty fortuitous that we sat down today because I think he's at a crossroads and it's something that we talk about. He's pretty much at like, the, as far as you can probably go, being non-union and having, you know, aspirations to shoot huge shows and, and huge projects, huge movies to be at a, at a union level project. A lot of times he's telling me now that, you know, he gets to a place where um, the project only gets a little bit bigger. It flips to union and then he can't be the DP on it. So he is very close to joining the union. And that's obviously, I think, an introspective moment for anyone, or at least it, it, it certainly should be. There are obvious differences and we kind of go over that. We go over what he's thinking. We And I, I found this this conversation to be really interesting because while we did well we do talk about you know the history of his career and we kind of kind of go in order but we we also we take these tangents and we kind of talk about the 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 mental aspects of doing this with your life the types of ebbs and flows that it has and the types of threshold moments that you kind of keep going past as you keep getting better at a craft and so for that reason, you know, I think I really, I, I really enjoyed the conversation and it felt like I got to know a friend even better, which is cool because I think that, you know, these are the types of conversations that don't happen often and when they do, it's, it's reflective and I think everybody involved benefits from, from, from discussing this kind of stuff. Um, so some things about him, we mentioned Cymatics, which was a video that he did with Nigel Stanford. And when he talks about doing uh, experimental work with his cinematography, this is definitely a, a great example and something that, you know, if you have the time, just, you know, Google Cy- Cymatics, Nigel Stanford, and it'll come up. He um, He's a musician that uses, I don't know how else to say it besides science experiments to kind of show off how music and noise can, you know, produces wavelengths, obviously, and how to visualize those wavelengths. And so that's obviously something that the cinematography needed to be very clever and shot beautifully. Beautifully, and so it, it, it's a it's a really cool it's a really cool video, and I think that it highlights the type of interesting different work that um, sets Timur apart. Really excited about this talk. I mentioned at the end that Timur and I had sat down well over a year ago, and for one reason or another, that episode never got out. And when it came around to talking to Timur about it, he's like, you know, like it'd be great if we sat down and did something from scratch because so much has changed in a year. And I'm so glad that we did. And because that's so true about how things can be. I know even in speaking with other podcast guests from the past, Ryan Booth has told me, you know, uh, you know, if we had sat down only three months later, like the whole episode would have been different based on what was going on. And I think that's the nature of this game. That's the nature of this type of career. And so, you know, we caught Timur in a moment. And I think that that comes out and I'm so glad that uh, that we sat down when we did so as always thanks for being here in your your career path right you know a lot of people are, are directors of photography and you'll have a person who wants nothing more in the world than to shoot films and then you'll have a person like me. I think I fall more in this line where I want to do um, straight up commercial, glossy, beautiful, big because I, I enjoy it. I yeah. genuinely enjoy really intricate, complex lighting and big, bold camera moves and that kind of stuff. But I also so it doesn't matter that it might be for mm-hmm. a, a I don't tissue care if brand it's for tissues, soap, or 
you know, cars. because for you from the technical, you just like being able to achieve that stuff technically. It doesn't matter that the subject might be. You well, know, I soap. look at well, you see, this is the funny thing is, is and this is the way I've always looked at it is um, every single job you do, whether and, and I mean every single job from the day you begin to me right now, if I go and I help a friend out who needs headshots for you know, for her, her band, you know, band or yeah, or something, gig something or minimal whatever on the side is. for you. Yeah, I look at each and every single one as practice. Yeah, for sure, it's training. Yeah, absolutely. You're in constant. It's like kung fu. You know, you got a repetition, and you know, you will eventually, you know, master something. So when I do a commercial for tissue boxes, or soap, or yeah. whatever, I light that b- bottle of soap like as if. I don't know, like, you know, Tilda Swinton's going to be on the other side of it any minute right. now, you know? So, so I use the, I use it as a, a skill building. For sure. But skill know? building leading towards what, when is it not skill building and when, and what's the thing where it's like, this is the, this is exactly what all of my work has been well, for. That's, well, that's what I'm about to get to was yeah. saying that, you know, the second thing I love personally love to do is, um, like really experimental stuff, hmm. uh, like cymatics and, yeah. uh, um, I don't know if you saw, a. Uh, um, Confluence. There was another piece I did for a director friend of mine, Noah Shulman. Yes. Um, yes, I did. You know, that. macro, high speed. Mm-hmm. You know, really beautiful things. And it's funny is what I was saying before about you know your intention versus your path. You have to choose the. Pr- you have to do what you want to do. You know what I mean? Like it's really easy. Like if you fall into a corporate client, you know, who just does interviews and whatever, and they need you know one shoot a week, and it pays you three grand a week. And that's your bread and butter, and it's really comfortable, and it's really easy to do. You should be spending the other six days of the week, whether you want to shoot commercials, going out and shooting spec commercials, or shooting narrative for people on Craigslist. Even no matter how bad they are, because they're all training. Yeah, you know. And and what happens is eventually you become known for the thing you do. You know, and and that's actually really tough because you know if you invent a camera trick, whatever that may be, some technique that only you do. You can you can get pigeonholed into that, and you're, you'll forever be the guy. Yeah, you might get a call from Nike, but they just want you to do oh, one sure. commercial once for that trick, and then yeah, thanks guys, see you later. I think then, we're constantly battling being being pigeonholed, and I mean, let's go let's go back a bit just so that, to to start more in the beginning when you first got when you first got into things. Did you have a a, a clear idea of what you were? after the way that some some people like you know they they knew from the time they were fourteen, or was it was it a more did it did it come later the understanding of how you wanted to do this? Yeah, I mean, I think I've said this before. You know, I started as a sculptor. Mm-hmm. Um, film wasn't even a, a thing I cared about at all. Actually, it mm. was strange. And um, started working with video a little bit, having like little screens playing things built into sculptures, that kind of thing. And then I figured out, well, hell, now I got to make the stuff that's on the screen. So, you know, bought a little video camera and started doing that, and then. You know, that led to somebody liking something I did and then asking me to commercialize it. You know, the, the exactly what I was saying before, you know, taking a technique that I had invented and then applying it to to a to a, a commercial project. And it was weird because, you know, being 21, yeah, fresh out of school, you know, you've got a couple of pieces in a little group show gallery thing, getting started on your art career. Yeah, and you spent four years four totally years thinking you're going to be an artist. That, well, yeah, mean, like I'm, I'm sure a little kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, through art students. Because film was never in, on your mind. It was just never on my mind. I, I didn't care. Yeah. You know, I liked movies, but I didn't, I didn't, I was never particularly into making it. Not that it was anything wrong with it. I just, you know, I, I was focused like a laser on, on art. 
you know, I had been working, you know, as an artist for a while, you know, you know, a couple hundred bucks here, a couple hundred bucks there, sell one thing, sell another thing, help another guy install, get paid for that technical yeah, stuff. Yeah, but I'm sure it's not, it's, it's but, harder, it's but a then, harder financial experience. Yeah, but then when I did this one thing that somebody was like, oh, let's take your technique and apply it to this commercial, and suddenly I was paid thousands of dollars for it. Yeah. And I went, oh, I can make a job out of this, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, and really, like, truth, you know, I don't want to gussy the story up too much, but but truthfully, it was sort of started as this, like, financial thing where I was like, oh, I can do a couple of these a month and, and the work rest on, of the time work, do, your work, art. do my art. It was funny because what ha- wound up happening was my art career just stopped mm-hmm. because you develop anxiety about your art, always. Every artist does. You know, is it good enough? Is it interesting enough? Is it, you know all the same, you know, the, the same struggles that everybody goes through when they create something. But I didn't have that for film. Mm. Because... What was what was it? What it was, was the feeling job. instead? It was a job. Oh, so there, there was almost less, there was less there was emotional no on the line because well, you felt no like pressure. that wasn't your expression? Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm going to take all the skills I know and apply it to this thing. But I don't really care if people see this or not because it's I'm not... Because I'm an artist. I'm an artist and this isn't, isn't my thing. I'm just... You know, pimping how out long my did that? How long did that last until you started to like realize how much you might have cared that about the last, way people? That lasted took it in? about, I think, about a year and a half. Okay, so not really that not, long. Not that long. And and what wound up happening was I was shooting more and more. Um, some very good friends of mine, um, Mark Harris and uh, this other guy I know, Max Cohen. Max had taken some film classes in college, and you know we were buddies, and and he had um, showed me the concept of cheating an angle. You know, right around the time when I started doing the little video things, like so right, right, right at the beginning, like blocking techniques, blocking technique, but things like eyeline cheats and things like, I mean, just simple stuff, you know, and I, and I kind of was like, dude, that looks ridiculous. Why is this guy standing all the way over here? He would be standing here. He was like, go look at it on camera. And I went and I stuck my eye in the Bolex and I went, oh, holy shit, he looks like he's staring at him. And the fact that you took reality and warped it tickled the part of my brain that was a sculptor because it suddenly feeling like art. it started feeling like art. That's cool. You know, and that, and, and so that kind of started. That must have been a real revelation considering that you, you were, to go from the thing that you thought you were doing purely for the financial reasons and then realizing that not only does it do the financial thing, but it also fulfills the artistic thing. Absolutely. That's a good feeling. Yeah. And, and then, and then the, the strange thing is, is like, I don't know about anybody else, but I guess you, I would call it a mode of thinking. You know, I was thinking in terms of contemporary art. And I saw the world through that lens. And then when I started shifting over to film, I stopped being able to see the world through the contemporary art lens. So it, it made a full transition where now I see the world through cinematography. Mm. You know, I, I I look at space and I look at light and I look at people and when I look at action. When that transition was happening, was there something that was sad a, about that? Like yeah. like you were in mourning of your previous. Well, actually, like, okay. Actually, what's funny is no, I'm sadder about it now than I was then. That makes sense to me because at the time it was finding a new exciting medium. Right, that no. was brand new to me. Yeah, no, you know, and and the funny thing, well, funny thing is, is that that same feeling of this doesn't really matter. The putting the film on a pedestal thing mm. never happened for me. Yes, I understand you know? that, and and that was, I think, the most powerful. The lack of that feeling, the lack of... Um, it was freeing, too, because it wasn't up on a pedestal. wasn't up on a pedestal, and I can do it. And I, and I had no problem failing. 
hmm. because I, it wasn't something that I was been doing since I was five. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. you. Know? I think that there. I mean, I think it falls into two camps. It's like the kids who have been running around pretending they're Steven Spielberg since they were six, mm-hmm. and people who fell into it later where it wasn't. It wasn't their first thing. And I mean, that was the same for me with, with journalism first and then yeah. going to documentary film. And even when I was doing documentary film strictly, I viewed, you know, cinematic scripted stuff as like, oh, that's not, I don't do that. Yeah. And, and then, and now that I am, it, there's, it's freeing a little bit because you, it's not this, um, it's not this thing you've been chasing your whole, mm-hmm. your whole life. It, it's come to you more in, in, in more, on more realistic terms. And it, it, it's also in a strange sense, like, I feel like that was my, my first real adult decision. It Which? was the first time, like, like saying, I can do this. Yeah. Not be emotionally attached to it. Mm. Not worry about the quality. Not that I wasn't worried about the quality, but not hinging my entire being on the success or failure of any given video. Right, right. You know, like, like if this one didn't come out great, well... I'll and do better also, next time. It didn't, I think that also what happens when you approach it this way is that more often than not, because I think when you approach it the other way, when you've loved film your whole life, like the first projects that you do are your projects that are your babies that are so near and dear to your heart. Mm-hmm. But if you've come into it like on the back end later on, it's probably because of other circumstances and it's not your project because why would it be the first one? Like film wasn't your thing mm-hmm. initially. And that's actually, that's also in a very, in a more you know, literal way freeing. Cause it's not, you're just, you're just helping out somebody at first. So mm-hmm. like the, the, so, the that, stakes that's are lower. Precisely it. Yeah. 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 I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head there cause that's exactly how it felt. It was that, you know, the directors and, and people that I worked with, you know, I would watch them agonize over it. Right. Uh, yeah, sure. And well, some, someone's agonizing, somebody's over, agonizing everything. over everything. Yeah. But, but it, w- what was interesting was that they would turn to me mm sometimes with a look in their eyes of help. Yeah. And because I, you know, I didn't write it, you know, and, and it's sort of like, well, how about this? If this person goes here and does this instead, then the camera can be there, 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 and there, and it fixes this problem, and it fixes that problem, like from a practical level, you know, and that's the, and that's like, that's the department managing part of well, Yeah, you're not emotionally, not emotionally tied. Not emotionally tied. To these decisions I, I that the, were made five months ago yeah. when someone was dreaming when up the nobody ideal. nobody was standing in the room and didn't realize that there was a giant steam pipe in the middle of the room. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like being able to have that flexibility where, you know, I mean, you always serve the script and you always, you know, honor what's, what's written. But, you know, if, if you go into a location or you're dealing with an actor that has a certain limit l- limitation or the space has a limitation or a time limitation, being able to adapt on the fly yeah, is more important than anything else. Well, and, it's and funny. I think, you know, serving the script, you, that can be interpreted in a lot of ways. And sometimes being the one person in the room who, like, can detach themselves from the way it was to the way it needs to be given the parameters mm-hmm. is serving it. It is. And, and exactly. And, and, and. You know, so so basically, you know, it all kind of ties back to that ability to detach your emotions from from the work while still tapping into, you yeah. know, the, the art that's in you, you know, the, the, the part of your brain that, that wants to do that. And and something I, I found kind of cool was that if you <laughs> if you stalk uh, ASCDPs on Insta on, uh, uh, I mean, on uh, IMDb and, you know, you go to their websites and you, you read about who they were and where they came from. Almost none of them came from film school. Yeah, you know, Not most surprised, most man. of them Not were surprised. were sculptors or carpenters or journalists or, you know, they came from somewhere else and then walked into this and said, "Oh, I can do that." 
and it's not not that that's the determining factor of success, but I think sometimes to find success as an artist, you don't always have to. Sometimes you don't always have to chase the thing you want the most. You know, sometimes well, yeah, sometimes mean, finding what works for you. You know, and well, if, if being an well, artist, let me let me let me redact that. That's actually that, that's not exactly. That sounds like I'm saying don't do what you want to do. Um, oh, I didn't interpret it that way, but well, say, but, but say, what, say what I'm saying say. is, but what I'm saying is, you know, when you're presented with an opportunity mm. that you, whether you realize it or not, you've been training for mm. in some way, aesthetically or conceptually or writing or yeah. even, you know, dance and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, if you don't realize that you've been preparing for it your whole life and suddenly it's in front of you, you know, it's okay to take it. If, cinema for me initially was like that. It was this thing that, oh, I can do this. You know, people seem to be happy at the end of the day, so I'm going to keep doing it. And they give me money. That's great. And then eventually, you know, you like know, as you as you that, learn, you're you know, saying that that sentiment in the beginning, it's okay that it wasn't romantic because eventually, of course, event, yeah. like, well, yeah, because I think you're you're trying to tell people that might like need it to be romantic in order to feel like they have the right to do it. It's like it's okay if it's not in course, the beginning. Yeah. And and for the people that it is romantic. Right now, if I were to go back to the art world and start making sculpture again, and I tried to get a show, and a you know dealer or gallerist dismissed me, I'd be heartbroken. Well, yeah, because that's know? that's that's like from that's some inner child stuff happening right yeah. there. Yeah, and and what I you know what what I think actually might be the case is that because I was on that path, yeah, and I diverted mm. into this thing that it's sort of like it's I'm kind of realizing it now because I never got the rejection from the art the little kid inside never died right on you know yeah it's great and then the little kid is now busy working on something else that's dope you know so it's sort of like you know and and i think you know artists need to protect the muse you know the 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 part that you know derives inspiration in fact there's a I don't know if you ever heard the story of um, musician Nick Cave um, won video of the year for the MTV Music Awards like a decade, couple decades ago. I don't know the story. Um, basically, he he had some music video and and he won uh, music video of the year. Mm-hmm. And he didn't show up to the thing, so they mailed him a letter or they you know whatever they're trying to mail him a trophy, something like yeah. that. Yeah. He replied to MTV with a long letter, asking to be declining the award. Yeah. And asking to be removed from all future competitions. Because he said, the minute I, my muse is forced to compete, she dies. <laughs> and I have to protect her. You know what's so funny? You know, and, and that's kind of, and that, that's, that's it makes important. makes total like, sense to me now. Like, I think, per, like, earlier, earlier in my life, I would have heard a story like that and be like, well, that's just some artistic bullshit. And um, I know, like, I don't know at what point my perception of those types of things changed. But, like, now I truly do understand what he's getting at. Mm-hmm. In a way that I I totally would have laughed at that story, a uh, younger version you of younger. myself. Yeah, and and that's part of you know I'm I'm 33 and we were having this discussion the other day about what it's like to turn 30 and basically you're you, that's when you start to die. <laughs> um, but it's when you start to live to more. Well, well, that's the funny thing is that's when your your mind starts to live. I think you know I feel like yeah. the perspective and and when I'm 40 and then 50 and then 60 I'm gonna look at the back at the 30 year old version of myself and be like God what an idiot. You know, without question. But at least for right now, you know, I can look back and I can say, okay, wow, that was a really narrow way of thinking. Yes. You know, and I need to protect the muse. I need to, 
pursue the thing I want to do so that people know me for the thing that I want to do. And, and, and that's what's, that's, what's really interesting about this exact moment in my life is that, you know, my career is shape-shifting at the moment. You know, I'm, I'm on the verge of joining local 600, um, days away. I mean, you know, I'm just waiting on some financial stuff to shake out and, and to have the, you know, yeah, you're just it's really write, expensive. <laughs> it's really, everybody out there, it's waiting, really, really expensive. You're waiting to write the $14,000 check. Waiting to write the $14,000 check, basically. Um, but that's the uh, initial due that you need to pay. So that's that, the, in case yeah. anyone didn't know, that's, yeah, that's what we're talking that's about. That's what it costs. It's not a made up number. It's and that, 14, and that does And it does nothing for you. It basically just gives you the right to work in these times right now when, you know, I'm transitioning from one work life into another work life, you know, an advancement in the career with, and along with it, you know, sure, you know, union jobs pay better, but there's also a, a ton more responsibility because now you're in the big leagues. You know, you're not you're not beholden to an independent producer who has a hundred thousand dollars to to make a, a a film. Now you're beholden to a studio with yeah. billions on the line. Well, that's what you signed up for. You know, of I course, mean, yeah. And and but but you know, you've got to you've kind of got to be a grown up enough to understand that. Well, yeah. Well, now before it before we get here, because because I I don't want to skip because a lot of I think a lot of interesting growth. I'm sure of it. A lot of interesting growth happened for you between the time because there 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 is a transition when. You like, and I think you said like a, a year and a half. Where it's funny how sometimes I think, and you know, you can extrapolate this to a lot of different as- facets of life. That like, film didn't start romantic, but at a point, it got there. Yeah, and you fell in love with it. Well, yeah, and and do you remember? Was it a certain project? Was what what kind of epiphany was there? What what happened where you were like, oh wait a second, I I fucking love this. Yes, give me a moment. It doesn't have to be like too super detailed. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. better no, if it's, it was, if it's um, not. It was, you know, early in the career while I was shooting, you know, I, I was ACing also for, you know, my mentor, Tim Naylor. But I was also working, meeting new people and, you know, developing connections and friends in the film industry and stuff, you know, as, you know, because as an assistant cameraman, you know, at lunch, you're at the, you know, the table with the rest of the, dro- you know, the rogues, you know? Yeah. And, um, I was, that's right around when I started, actually, like maybe a couple of weeks after I started, period, uh, I had met uh, Khalid Mataseb, and uh, we were fast friends. I mean, like 15, I, I think he was like buying a lens from Tim or something like yeah. that, and um, he was sitting on the couch, Tim went to go grab it out of the, you know, the lens bag or whatever, and like, he, I was literally like, you know, hey, what's going on, dude, you know, he's like, hey, what's up, you know, I was like, what are you doing, and he was like, oh, I'm buying an 8514 from Tim, and I was like, dude, that lens is so sick, you know, like, and then that was it, we were off. You yeah. Know? Well, and Khalid's, with, Khalid's an easy well, guy to uh, easy get on guy with. To get along, get along with. And um, so, you know, a little time went on and he was working on a project and um, it was this absolutely bizarre music video that I don't think ever even got released. Um, it was, you know, the usual 20 hour days for yeah. three days, that Crazy kind of thing. Music video. Yeah. Um, more Kessler cranes than you can shake a stick at, you know? Yep. He was DPing and I was, I think I was ACing or operating or something like that. Yeah, I think it was, I might have been operating. Sure, sure. Um, and there was one thing, he had to go deal with some emergency, right, for like an hour. Okay. Um, on another location, next set or something like that. Like something, I don't know, fell over, blew up, who knows. Um, and he goes, dude, can you DP this scene? You know, and, and anybody that knows his work knows how good he is, you know. And so I was like, oh, shit, I don't know if I can live up to that. Oh, my God, <laughs> what am I going to do? Yeah. And then, and then, but what was funny was like a switch, something inside said shut up you got this like you not only do you have this you're gonna crush the shit out of it 
you, you, you know, need to and, be put and it up was to the to yeah, the, it was to in, the cliff. It was crazy because it was instantaneous, mm. and I went from feeling oh no, I can't to not only can I, you do you do a good job. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a job that Khalid's gonna be jealous of. <laughs> you know, like you know, but 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 you know, but putting yourself up to that to that internal challenge, you know. And then executing it, yeah. and then you know having him come back and look at the footage and be like, "Dude, that looks amazing!" You know, and then realizing, "Whoa, I made that!" Yeah, you know, and and it wasn't like all the other times where I was a guy with a camera pointing, hoping it was right. Mm. It was probably the first time that I sat there and I designed a shot, right, and then made it happen. Yeah, you know, and and, it's nice. and that's a that's a, a a major step, and and that was kind of the moment when my eyes opened a little bit more mm. and said, "Oh." you know, the photographic world is mine for the taking because I can build anything I want. I can make it happen how I want it. You know, and that was actually what I was talking about before with modes of thinking. Like, that was, I think, when the coin turned over. Because suddenly I was obsessed with, well, how can I build the best shot? Yeah. Instead of, oh. The questions you were asking changed. Yeah, exactly. Conceptually. Conceptually changed. Foundationally, yeah. And it it all kind of happened like... In an, in an instant. Makes you know? sense. It's a watershed moment. You know, and, and it wasn't, speci- I mean, that was one of those moments, but within that, you know, couple of months, right. um, I had worked on a few other projects that I was shooting, and then, you know, I took a little bit of what I learned from that and applied it to the next one, and it grew more, and then a little bit to the next one, and it grew more, and then it, that's when I literally, like, made a big step up, and I was being hired as a DP. Did you find now... Often enough that I didn't have to AC anymore. Right. You know? Did that, um, with... Caring more mm-hmm. for all of the positive reasons, did it also introduce, I don't know, anxiety in a way that you didn't have before because now you kind of do, you are holding the craft on a pedestal? Well, that, again, it never went to the pedestal. That's mm. what was funny. Yeah, no, that's you great. Know? Um, but what did happen was, and I still feel this way, <laughs> you know, because I didn't go to film school, because I didn't. You know, I started when I was 21 instead of 14, like everybody else that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I didn't know enough. I felt like I was a fraud. You know, when people would hire me as a director of photography, I, I felt like I was faking it. Yeah. You know, and and it was that based more in no, like not that, knowing, that's, not that's knowing all the like not knowing the nomenclature of everything on the grip truck. Or no, I knew what all that stuff was. I, I, I see that's the thing so it wasn't based in any it, w- it was based on yeah. it was based on just like a self-worth thing where you're questioning mm. your validity because everybody else had it on a pedestal and lived and breathed and died for it and I was just like yeah I'm gonna do a great job but um what time's lunch you know no I'm kidding <laughs> no but but you know it was the difference was that you know everybody else like especially the directors and stuff where you know they're you know, the, the, the intense obsession and passion that they have. And it's infectious. It's great. You know, mm. I love that. I feed off of that, you know. But I could also look at it practically as well. Yeah. You know, where some people obsess so hard over minutia that they're losing scope of the big picture. Yeah. You yeah. know. And that could and, be and that could end up being an Achilles heel for sure. Of course, you know. And and so so I always felt like in the beginning that I just sort of felt like a technician and internally, like I felt like I was too much of a technician and not enough of the artist that I'm supposed to be. You know mm. what I mean? Where, you know, I knew that, you know, this guy wanted to do X, Y, Z. So I would be like, oh, we better put a light there in case that person steps into that shadow. And, you know, and we would set the light up there and this and that. And then when they stepped into the shadow, you know, they were lit and, and all this stuff. But, you know, what? and it's funny because I had no, 
because I came to it from zero, basically, with no knowledge, what I didn't realize was I was doing all the shit that I was supposed to be doing. You know, I was, I was, I was. Where exactly is the for, difference? Is it just because you were like, is is it because you were doing it innately and not cognitively that somehow that was lesser than? I think I think I was just doing it out of like the part of me that goes, well, I can see that landmine right there, <laughs> and I'd better throw a board over it before somebody steps on it. But isn't that you know what? But well, not, but you, you I, I isn't that the well, same thing? That's, well, that's the question. You see, that's that's exactly the that's exactly the the right question you're asking is what's the difference between the two? The difference is you, me, how I feel about it, and how how the other cinematographer and artist out there feels about it. I buy that. You know, um, right now, I look at all that stuff as that training. That was my film school. Yeah, that's where I was learning those things, For and sure. I didn't realize that till a couple of years later when mm. I was like. Till I, I met some film school grads that came out of, you know, thing and, you know, wanted to be, you know, calling themselves DPs at age 21. Like I had two years, three years, four or five, at that point, maybe three, four years earlier. And then looking at them and being like, oh, you probably know a lot more than I do. And then realizing they didn't know anything. Yeah. You know? And yeah. then I was like, wait, but how come I know so much more? And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, oh, holy shit. Wait, I've been... Yeah, I've been educated. It's oh a, my god, I'm a, a, I can do this. It's a, you know? it's a crazy moment when you finally do start to understand, and I think that it 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 really does. I guess well, it did for me too. That it happens by comparison, mm-hmm. where all of a sudden you do start to realize, oh, you are the one with the answers on the set, or that you are the one that like it's not a trial. Like your lighting isn't trial and error anymore. Like you, that, when, was, when, another when major, you, that was another major milestone, right? Major watershed when you moment, set yeah. when you when when now you're getting it right the first time. That was actually that was that how much was longer a, did that take? That took a while. Yeah, yeah, that took. Uh, I would say I didn't reach that point till about six years ago. Right, and um, how many years in then? Four, four or five, four or five, four yeah, or five. About halfway th- so far. Yeah, and and even then, I I I would reclassify that time by saying, okay, maybe this was four years, five years in was the first time. I understood how to light from the start, but I, I just still wouldn't say that I was actually good at it for another two. Well, yeah, because I think good at it isn't just about getting it right. It's knowing, it's knowing, it's it's knowing that there are three ways for the, that this can work, and choosing it based on artistic storytelling reasons, let alone just technically achieving and something the, lit. And exactly, that's that was that was like watershed moment number three mm. was realizing that I can. Now that I've learned how to technically do it, yeah. Now I can break the rules. Well, yeah, because you, you are know? actively, knowledgeably yeah. knowing which rules you're breaking. Yeah, and and that's the and that was and and that's something like I've been doing a lot lately, which is um, the way I approach it in general nowadays. Is I, I I'm a firm believer that you know if you want to create a world in cinema, mm. whether it's commercial, a music video, a film, you know you have to create the world. You know, meaning, like, meaning what? Meaning the set, the space, the art direction. You know, I I try to I try to talk to my my people and and have them do everything, do the three sixty, do the whole room. Oh, you you mean like not not like not only create, camera safe, but like yeah, making no such thing as camera safe. I want to be able to pick that camera, put it over there, and point straight back where I was, and I want it to be good to go. And and that's that makes the people who work with me who know me understand that that saves time actually 
but for the f- and for sometimes for first time directors and producers I work with, it oh, makes them a little a, that, it makes them a little nervous at first because we'll be lighting for six hours. Yeah, producers just one. shit a brick hearing you say yeah. that. Yeah, but as soon as we actually roll a camera and then we're done in two and a half hours, then they understand. You right, know, like that, and then but then you get another you get another benefit, which is and it's not even about time savings. It's about when you can create for the for the actor for the even for the crew mm-hmm. if they're in a space and they believe that that space is a living breathing thing mm-hmm. you know and i think especially for oh actors, yeah no no it helps the actors you know, completely it, it helps them it how helps can it them. not yeah how I can mean, it not you start getting things like you even start getting lighting subtleties right for example like um i just did a, a music video um last year uh, the follow-up to cymatics for nigel stanford and, you know, we spent an entire day and a half lighting the space when we could have just done zones, you know, broke it down, relit, shot the piece there, shot the piece here, blah, 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 this and that. But what I knew was going to happen, and this is part of the thing is saying being able to predict, you know, lighting wise and, and yeah. camera wise. Seeing the, the landmines. Seeing the, seeing the landmines and putting the boards over them. You know, I knew that, you know, if this was a giant warehouse space. You can't just light one piece of it. Because all the light and the rest would act as a giant fill. And, and then, yeah, you could fake it. You could put up a big thing and bounce some light into it. But it'll never look right. Mm. You know? So we spent day and a half. We lit the entire thing. I think there was something like two 5,000 feet of cable. Jesus. Running, like almost a mile of cable. Running oh, yeah. You're lighting whole a whole thing. warehouse. whole warehouse. You know, runs back and forth to, I think, it it's 26 space lights. <laughs> With bags, cutters, and skirts in various states of undress, you know? (laughs) Um, And that'll be coming out probably right around the time this podcast comes out in a few weeks or a month or so. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... uh, Maybe a few months. You know, what winds up happening is when you have this three-dimensional world, the light in the eyes, the sparkle in the eye from... Changes. Other elements that are being lit that aren't on camera... Yeah. Gives it a three-dimensional feel. That makes that makes a lot of sense. You know, and even if it's like I said, like even if it's a commercial, when the image has a solidity and consistency, yeah, from shot to shot, where you don't need to relight, other than maybe a bounce card, right? You know, you you it creates this magical effect where a your colorist is in love with you because every shot's the same. Yes, it helps the editors because lighting continuity and mm-hmm. all of that stuff magically falls right into place mm-hmm. you don't you don't have to worry because it's lit once mm-hmm. you know even if they don't fall into the most flattering light for that moment it feels so realistic well that's the thing this reminds me of I'm it pretty suddenly sure becomes that, cinema i'm you pretty know, sure like, that it was, it's deacons that talks about lighting the space and oh not that's the actors. my that's my man yeah, yeah that's oh he's my god man yeah yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I, I i'd get a roger deacons tattoo if i if i uh <laughs> was, i mean <laughs> i've seen crazier tattoos yeah but um but yeah, I mean, you know, he he's obviously an inspiration to me and and but I but I understand and and the solidity of his work. Well, yeah, like is it's that. it's not it's there's a lot of reasoning behind it. I think, you know, you listed it from a lot of technical points, but obviously, you know, I hear I I can hear not detractors, but people being like, "Well, yeah, but that's only when you have the ability to do so." And that's true. Like, because it obviously requires more lights and it requires a bigger yeah. thing. But you're you're operating at a point now. We were talking about it before we started the podcast, where you feel like right now you're at the point where you're at as high as you can go non-union. Pretty much. Pretty much. And that you that know, that there is a any, limit. Any any commercial bigger usually flips flips union at that point. Right. You know? And so 
we were having this interesting discussion that I wanted to bring up now where you you were saying like about every three years or so there is this transitional stuff. And I want to know prior to we get into talking about the one that you believe you're in now, the transitional, like when we were talking about those watershed moments, mm-hmm. do, do you think they always that, coincide by the way? That's what I was about to get to. <laughs> yeah. That, that I mean, they, because cause it, it is, it is an artistic jump. Yeah. And, it happens about a year before the transition because that's when people see what you've been working on. Well, it's funny because it's, in terms of like an art commerce thing, um, it's fascinating. So you're, you're, you have a watershed moment. Your art has now improved. And then about a year later, the there are, commerce catches there are up. There, the commerce catches up. Yep. And, um, you know, can you just speak to that? Yeah. And, and that's, what, that's exactly what I was saying earlier when I was saying do the thing you want to do. Be known for the thing that you want to shoot. You know, if you can put in even one or two freebies a year, but if you can organize a freebie that will actually get you something you want, you know, whether it's a short film or or a spec commercial or a music video or something like that, you know, and that's what you want to shoot are those things, you know, putting your being into it, even investing a little bit of money into it to make it something so spectacular that when you show people, you're known for the thing that you want to do. Yeah. You know, and for me, it's always been experimental uh, films and and videos, be like like the Nigel music video, being like one of like cymatics. Well, I got cymatics because of a multitude of others. Yeah, and would you classify cymatics as a paid commerce? Oh, gig absolutely, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And dope, oh, absolutely. It was, it was a fully budgeted, right? Yeah, full yeah. budget thing. And best of both worlds. Best of both worlds. Yeah, and and as a result of even to take that a step further of cymatics, I've been hired to do tons of other things that were high speed macro. Um, electro, you know, uh, I'm sorry, not electric. Um, scientifically based, cool things like you know, like those Google commercials kind of stuff. Not yeah. Google commercials, but I'm saying like you know how they used to have those Chrome experiments. Yes, yes, yes. You know, like you know, I've been doing things like that for other commercial corporate clients, right? And, and things that where they wanted to see something interesting to that's different from everybody else. And the fortunate thing for me is that when people say, "Oh, we need." a person who knows how to do experimental things, my name comes up. You've gotten yourself known for the thing that you wanted to do. For the thing I wanted to do. Right. And I had that realization about three years ago. And, you know? Yeah. So why, why do you think, do you have any thoughts on why you feel like it's a, it's a three-year cyclical thing? And this, I think it, I think it takes, you know, a year to find, to, to this, because it, it's all about, it's like Kung Fu, you know, it's, it's mastery step by step, mm. you know, until you get there, mm. you know, so, you know, the first thing I learned was, oh, I can line up a shot. Mm-hmm. Second thing I learned was, oh, I can control the light now. Then part of the experimental thing is also camera movement. And, you know, th- that one had like a sort of a two, two pronged thing. You camera know. movement. Cam- well, it was I what I did, longer. what I did with the movie with Vince. Right. With LaFerrey yeah. for the movie, int- you know, the launch video of the movie you know, that was where Vincent and I learned how to think in terms of camera movement. Now. Mm-hmm. Because because now suddenly camera movement is whatever you want it to be. Yes. You're not limited by anything. You know, you're not even limited by people. You can give a person the movie to hold it and they run with it. Yeah. And they don't have to be a specialized operator. You have the second controller unit where you follow the action with the head and you just need a guy that can run holding a thing that weighs 20 pounds. If you can do that, you got your shot. So it was like, you know, then camera movement became a thing. So so what I think happens is when you learn a new skill, you apply it, try and, you know, try and create something that's, again, going towards that end goal of, you know, doing what you want to do. 
people see it, and then the commerce follows. And then you learn your next skill, and you take another step up. You know, and it's it's it seems to me roughly three year to four year cycle. Well, yeah, because there seems because I, I it was funny. I was having a conversation yesterday where you know it was like, well, what do you do? Like, because obviously the commercial work comes in waves. And it's like, what are you doing? The question was, what are you doing in between so that the next wave comes? And I'm like, honestly, it's not like I'm cold calling people being like, hire me again. Mm-hmm. It's more like in times where I'm not feeling or I'm not getting. The, the calls like the 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 gut reaction is make stuff yeah of you course. know just go back and, and make more stuff but that's it that's the that's the because then you're going to make the things you want to do yeah and then hopefully that the next wave is more in line with the things i just put out mm-hmm. exactly yeah that's that's precisely the cycle and and how i found that it works now to to go along with that you know the reason i'm interested in experimental films is you know my ultimate goal is obviously commercials, which often requires a lot of like specialized. Technical that's not things. obvious. I don't think everybody would. I don't think everyone says that that's their goal. That's your my goal. That's specific what I meant. goal. Yeah, 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 I meant yeah. me like you know. Obviously, I wanted. I well, wanted you said obviously, yeah, but but uh, I for me, for right, me, right, 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 right. Um, sorry, I didn't make that clear. Um, no, I'm what, just saying it's I interesting. Meant, what I meant by that was then you know the, that experimental stuff teaches me techniques that. A get me more interesting commercials. So yeah, not boring. Right. Uh, I mean, you, sh- you know, shooting soap is still boring sometimes. Um, but you know, if you can get an interesting commercial, that's great. But those those interesting films lead oftentimes to uh, uh, interesting videos lead to interesting films. People like Darius Kanji, or you know, who shot you know City of Lost Children and you know all these movies. Well, he wound up with seven as a result. Mm. You know, like he he made this step from you know small independent cinema doing what he wanted to do interesting exquisite lighting and you know filters and art direction and all that well it led to him working for fincher on seven you know so it's like the goal is you know the more interesting looking things i can create on an experimental level will hopefully guide me to directors that are looking for somebody that can create from scratch something nobody's ever seen before yeah, you know, and that's the and that's for me that's the sculptor part of me that says that makes sense. I don't need to copy anybody else. I'll figure it out. I'll build something from scratch that looks cool. You mm. know, and 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 I try my best to do that. You know, you know, you, you need to put in a little of the work first to to try it. You know, to to create those samples that are gonna help guide you on that path. You know, and that and the best time to do that is when you're down. Yeah, <laughs> you know, when you're having a a slow month or a slow whatever. Yeah. You know, uh, that's that's absolutely the the best time. And so now you feel like you're in you're in a transition at the moment. Likewise, do you know like what artistic jump maybe had occurred or is occurring that is also leading to what this transition might be? Um, I think a couple. How, how are you defining what I, this transition this is? This one, this one, I'm not certain. I think this one is more. About I guess maybe you know, you probably never are in the middle of you, one, right? Or is it only is it only in reflection to you? I think it's only reflection to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I know that I'm actively working on is um, the business aspect. But in a, again, in a, it has to be in a different way because obviously, if you've been doing this for ten years and nothing else, like the business aspect has not completely eluded you. No, but but I want to learn. But I, for example, like you know, when you when you join the union and you move up into that world, other factors come into play politics mm. within the union the people who works with who who doesn't like who who doesn't work with this guy this guy you know and th- and that that's important because if you 
people are fickle and there's a lot on the line. You know, nobody wants to, people want a pleasant, smooth set environment. Yeah. And, you know, a big part of the DP's job in crew selection is finding a smooth, balanced team where you're not going to get arguments, fights, or lip. I would, I, w- I, w- I would like to say that from what I've heard, that the union world is far more relaxed and everybody is more copacetic. But it seems that because a lot of the times people have a lot more on the line, it's actually more competitive in that sense. Mm. So, you know, I think the thing that I'm focusing on is making sure that when I do these things, I do those parts to the best of my ability. And that's where I want to grow is because, you know, when you pull together a team and you use the same team year after year, like I do now, you know, but the problem is all my ACs and camera guys all went union. So all my, all my guys are gone. Is that technically a problem or is that technically like they're there waiting for you when you get on the other side? I hope so. Right. (laughs) I certainly (laughs) hope so. (laughs) But, you know, they, um, I think what, what, the reason I haven't joined sooner is a little tiny piece of there's a, there's always fear when the, that transition time comes up, you know, and, and uncertainty, you know, but truth is every single time I've done something that made me say, well, here we go, you know, like where there's no turning back, that's when the growth comes. And right now I'm ready to not turn back. So I think that that's the, that's the next one. It's, you know, just making that leap and, and stepping into the big leagues and maybe not being quite as big a fish anymore. And, you know, cause now suddenly you're in competition with, you know, your heroes, you know, it's, it's not that they're in this untouchable upper echelon anymore. Now you're a peer all of a sudden and you'd well, better, yeah, you'd you better know, live up to that. Well, you we were, know? As we were saying earlier, um, off, off the mic that like, this is an inevitable moment for you of course and, and now that, the right time's right right but it's also like you know pro- prolonging the start of it also just delays getting into a groove it, yeah. de- it delays when yeah. when when but good it, things happen but it's also being ready because a, you know a year ago right now i have four projects that i'm really proud of that are about to come out great um that's a lot yeah and and i would say it's my four best pieces of work uh, one of them was a documentary on coffee. One of them was a documentary about a boxer, which is funny because they're all documentaries. But um, another was a film I did a couple of years ago. And then the last is uh, the sequel to, well, not sequel, but the follow-up to Cymatics. You know, four pieces I worked really hard on. And even though the doc- documentaries aren't exactly what I want to do, but, you know, we shot them as Yeah, but though, Doc these but we, days doc, are, it's, are... It's more are, cinematic are, than yeah, anything, yeah. you know, like... We shot them in the style of, you know, Planet Earth yeah. or something like that, you know, with... <laughs> no, I get it. it, it they're not... They're not it's, um, it's, it, it's aesthetically beautiful. A one-man cam running around type no, scenario at no, all. It's, it was like really pointed and, and well-planned mm-hmm. and thought out and, you know. And is there, is there anything that you think as the ultimate signifier of why you feel ready now as opposed to earlier? Um, if there's something to extrapolate I think, I think for like a part other people is, to kind of like chew on part of its maturity Mm -hmm. what aspect of maturity i think like we you and i were talking on facebook or something the other day and i said you know the weirdest thing about getting older is that you can handle so much more yeah what do you mean by that because i could interpret what i feel like i would have been crushed by the responsibilities that i have now in the past Mm. but now 
I'm strong enough to stand up, push back, regain control of everything, and make it work. Professionally, personally, financially. The the downside to having that ability, and as the second sentence I wrote to you was, but now you have less time, because time goes so much faster. Yeah. You know the you, the you know it's sort of like as your mind and your intelligence expands you know, and, and matures and becomes this, you know, finely tuned machine that can process all of these things simultaneously and and accurately. Well your your concept your concept of time changes a little bit along with it where, you know, you're running through handling problems, solving things, you know, all the all of everything that every every person in the world deals with on a daily basis, then you turn around and you're ninety. Yeah, you know, um, and so I think stopping to smell the roses is an important part of that. But, but that, but that's to me. I think that that's what those are the challenges that I'm going to face in a higher end environment in production. You know, where if you know, hopefully, you know, in a few year, next year, or two years, or three years, whatever time tells for me, but. You know, if I get a twenty million dollar feature, or thirty million, or a hundred million dollar feature, who knows? Um, that's a two year commitment yeah. of you know f- making one project perfect. I would not have been able to do that two, three years, four years ago. Right. I didn't have the mental capacity to do it, but I think I could learn along the way now. Right. If and I that, dropped that, in my lap right now, I wouldn't fail. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I would it, figure it out. It's interesting because I think what I'm hearing too is that now, like the being ready for this type of step, is is inclusive of the, you know, the filmmaking techniques that you've learned. But it's also much more than that in terms of like being at a at a certain life place to to handle course, big yeah. big problems that have nothing to do with necessarily you know the the cinematography. Mm-hmm. It's almost, it's almost like while I'm, you know, nowhere near being a master, but you know, it's comes natural enough that you the know, cinematography, a, part. the cinematography part, we're on a huge project where you have to manage 80 people. Yeah. You know, you, you, the you cinematography can, you needs can, to be a prerequisite. Yeah. You have to be able to do that and be a really good manager. Because that's what a DP is, really. You're, you're a department manager, mm-hmm. you know. Because if you look at the British system, the DP doesn't touch the camera. Yeah. DP doesn't touch the lights. He sits in a chair next to the director. You know, he has an operator. He's got a gaffer. He's got a key grip. He's got the ACs, mm-hmm. and they report to you, and you don't do anything. And it sounds terribly boring, <laughs> but but that's what that job is. You know, that's that's what a DP really is. You know, I, I know a lot of young folks seem to love to run around with DSLRs and stuff, but they're going to realize, like, you know, when I, when I go in union, I have to have an operator. Hmm. Technically, I'm not supposed to touch the camera. I can. You know, it's it's nobody's going to slap my wrist. But, you know, if you did it the way the rules say, yeah, I would never touch the camera. Yeah. Well, it's amazing because you do get to a point where, like, you know, you're... You're the being more, hired for... You have less and less to for, do. For what's in your head, <laughs> you know? Like, it's literally it's just what, what you've what you've come to understand in your head. Yeah. Like, the, the physical labor of it is secondary by far. And I think that's the perfect way of putting it because I think, what, you know, what I said about maturity before is I think part of it is also now I can handle the department managing stuff but also clearly express to my crew the aesthetic. Yeah the the art part 
being able to, you know, the you know, developing enough communication skill to clearly, quickly, efficiently express what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. You know, um, and that just comes with time. I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, I don't care how talented you are. There was a, uh, who was it that, actually, there was a quote that I I really loved. It was, I think it was a, a MMA fighter, Colin something, had said, there is no talent, there's only work, <laughs> you know? You know, and, and then and then there was another another thing I was reading. Oh, God, I wish I could quote it. You know, like give a source, but basically the 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 gist of it was that talent only helps you get there a little faster. Yeah, it doesn't. It's not a measure of how far you can go. No, no. You know, and and so you know, but that but those both play into the simple fact that you know, if you're a young person, you're really talented. A 22 year old doesn't have the maturity or in very rare, very rare cases, won't have the maturity and experience to be able to to handle something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, you know, going going into it, and I guess kind of like the last question: How are you going to be defining success in the in what you expect to be this next phase? I think the goal is t- for me right now is to utilizing the the tool set that I've learned about how to you know, kind of materialize your goals in, in as far as doing the things that what you want to do, you know, putting out into the world the work that you want to get, um, which is kind of like those few pieces that I'm are about to come out in the next couple of months. You know, I'm hoping to establish myself with a group of producers and directors that are like-minded and, you know, willing to work on the kinds of projects that have a similar, have a similar feel, you know, like, I mean, I think, right, you know, it's funny as most, maybe 10 years ago, you would say, what's your dream? And he'd be like, I want to, DP would say, I want to shoot Hollywood movies. But right now it's like, I'm like, oh man, I'm about that Netflix, baby. Like, you know, <laughs> let's let's shoot a show, you know, you know, Netflix, HBO, you know, that's, that's, I think, I mean, I, I would not say no to a film, but I, I feel like the never before have TV shows had this kind of quality. Yeah. And I feel like I can feel what a DP is doing with so much more intricacy now, especially with things like Mr. Robot and, um, you know, um, my buddy Aaron is the uh, A-cam operator on that. You know, like, I mean, he must be having the time of his life. Yeah, what they're doing on what that show doing, compositionally you know, is outrageous. It's outrageous. And 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 it's the perfect ex- <laughs> it's funny if a 20 year old had shot that film and showed it to me i would have been like dude i got all right uh, hold on i got to explain some shit to you <laughs> you know but but todd campbell who's the master of the rules yeah. knows how to break them yeah 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 well, in the, the same way wes anderson yes you know wes anderson's framing quote unquote technically is awful but it's beautiful well yeah well because he knows because he's how. making a language out of it versus yeah. an errant sentence In, instead of an error it's a language right and that's what mr robot is it's a language yes, yes without yeah. question. let me t- i have a theory about mr robot uh the framing on mr robot that kind of framing that really really far into the lower corners mm-hmm. i used to call that uh pharma abstract right for because whenever you do a pharmaceutical commercial, they always need space to put the name of the medicine and all the yeah okay the, the, I see the text yeah and they're, those frames are beautiful, mm-hmm. but then they muck it up with all this text right you know so what I think Mr. Robot is is a giant pharmaceutical ad without the text you know it's that 
same thing subconsciously that those frames that you've been looking at for all these advertisements for pharmaceutical for years and years and years and years where people are in a bathtub in a field for some reason yeah, in the far lower left corner or uh-huh. somebody is like looking, yeah, no, I, you yeah, know, I gazingly you. off into the distance in the bottom corner of frame or like the top corner of frame, but in an awkward direction because they don't want you to, your attention isn't supposed to be on them. Your attention is supposed to be on the name of the drug. But when you take the name of the drug out, all of a sudden you're left with this abstractly beautiful frame. And, and I really think that like that's got to be in the back of somebody's mind because it's far too similar. If I, I, th- that might even be a fun thing to do, just grab frames from Mr. Robot and put a bunch of like Prozac, <laughs> Prozac, Prozac data make a, into make it. A blog post, about you know, that. like <laughs> you should do that because uh, that's that's what it looks like to me. I was yeah. looking at it, and I was being like, oh, this is how we shoot pharmaceutical commercials, and then it, and then I, when I as the show went on and I realized what it was actually about, and I was like, oh my god, of course it is. This is about mental health. Yeah, you know, certainly. this is a fucking pharmaceutical commercial, like, <laughs> you know. Uh, and well, I applaud him because he took an aesthetic, masterfully created a language out of it. Yeah, you know, and that's that's what I want to do. In the end, that's great. You know, and I, I, uh, I think that's that's a good ending point. I, um, thanks for coming back. I'm gonna let everybody know that we recorded one. And then it never got anywhere. And now we're lame. and now we're doing it this time and it's and it's and it's super good. I'm excited. It was so terrible the last time. It was my fault. My fault. The mic was broken. Yeah, that's that's what we're <laughs> gonna go with. Thanks a lot, man. All right, man, thank you. <laughs>